0: So once again, we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is God's Word.
1: Thank you, Betsy. Well, good evening, everybody. It is good to be with you. And for those who may be new joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. We are continuing our series in First Peter, and First Peter essentially is about how to live as a Christian, uh, particularly when you're enduring suffering and when you're in a culture that largely doesn't believe what you believe. Even going a step further than that, not only doesn't believe what you do, but actually kind of um, looks down or, or sees what you believe as dangerous uh, toward the flourishing of humanity. And the passage that uh, we're in tonight, as you just heard read, it's one of these passages that's so gripping, not only because it's so blunt and straightforward, but it's a, also because it's a very rubber-meets-the-road kind of text. And it's so challenging because it, it confronts here Jesus confronts a lot of our deepest impulses, and not just that, but if we follow Christ in the area uh, the areas that are in this passage, it can lead to some of the most frequent disdain and exclusion from our peers so like one of the first times that I saw this play out in my life was when I went to college, and my freshman year. I felt led to join a fraternity. Yes, I did. It was one of those rare charismatic moments that Steve Reed had, and I felt like God was actually calling me to join a fraternity, to share the gospel with uh, guys in a fraternity. And anyway, so it didn't take long until, you know, so I'm in our pledge class, and we take a trip up to Miami University of Ohio, and, you know, some of the older guys in the fraternity are chaperoning us, and it's, like, getting late on Friday evening. We're hanging out at a house, and, you know, finally it became clear that the whole group wanted to go to a, let's just call it a club of ill repute, okay? That's where they wanted to go. And so I was just like, all right, guys, that's cool. You know, I'll just stay here and read a book. You guys can go and have fun. And the chaperone said, no, 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 We actually we can't go unless... Everybody goes, because, you know, I'm responsible for everybody here, so I can't just leave somebody at home. And I was thinking, so it's more responsible to take, like, 20, 18-year-olds to a place like this than just—anyway, that's not here, neither here nor there. So, so they all looked at me, you know, expectantly, like, come on, Steve, it's not a big deal, let's just go. I said, sorry, guys, you know, just follow Jesus. That's just not something that I feel comfortable doing. And so as, as soon as I say that, you just—most of the faces in the room just kind of, like, go dark. And, you know, one of those moments, maybe I'm the only one who's experienced this, but one of those social moments where you can tell a a social ring has closed and you're on the outside of that ring. So that's what happened. And, you know, from that moment on, actually, even a lot of the, you know, the cool guys in the fraternity just kind of wrote me off, didn't invite me to things. And it was that moment where I remember thinking, not only can can I be happy, you know, if I follow Jesus and all the areas he calls me to, but can I be cool? As, as a, a lot of you guys are like, Steve, you're already not cool. Anyway, it's, it, that's not the issue. But so this is the same question that, that Peter's readers are asking. And so he helps them learn, OK, how do you actually follow Jesus, especially in these areas where you may be marginalized as a person if you follow him here? And I recognize a lot of the topics that are in this text. They can be uh, pretty touchy, just depending on, you know, what your background is in the church or outside the church. And so I just want to encourage us. I was wrestling with with this this week. Just remember that anything that's in God's word is really to to lead us into more wholeness and flourishing rather than less. And so let's trust him here as he takes us through this. Okay, so we'll get this passage under these, asking these three questions. So first, what's the kind of life that Jesus calls us away from? Uh, Number two, what are the obstacles to following Jesus there? And number three, what, what is the good life that Jesus invites us into? So first, what does Jesus call us away from? If we, He's talking to Christians. So if we follow Jesus, what's the life he calls us away from? Number two, what are some obstacles that we need to know about that we're going to face if we follow him here? And then number three, once we've walked away from something, what's the good and beautiful life that he invites us into? Okay, so first number one, what's the life that Christ calls us away from? So let's start at the top, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So, another, Christ suffering in the flesh, that's referring to his time on the earth. So, when Christ came in the body, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So, when Jesus was on the earth, uh, he operated according to a particular way of thinking. Okay, so, what type of thinking was that, Peter? Well, let's go on to verse 2. So, is to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's what Jesus did, and... One of the first things you notice when you read the Gospels is Jesus marched to the beat of a different drum than everybody else around him. So he didn't get caught up in all the, you know, the pettiness and competitiveness and one-upmanship and envy and just going with the flow that everybody else did. Why? Because he wasn't living according to human passions, but for the will of God. And the main way Jesus knew what the will of God was, uh, because he was fully God, yes, but he was also fully human, was his time, he spent a lot of time in prayer, but he also, he knew the scriptures. Like, he knew all the Old Testament scriptures front to back. It was so clear, and it was through immersing himself in the scriptures that he knew the will of God. As a side note, that's one of the reasons why we hold the authority of the Bible here, because that's what Jesus did uh, while he spent his time on earth. Okay, so he's following the will, will of God. This sets him apart. Now, what is the will of God? Next week, we're going to talk about a different side of this coin, starting in verse 8, which talks about, you know, using your gifts without grumbling and showing hospitality and so forth. Today, Peter talks about a different side of the coin for the will of God, and he gets at that in verse 3. For the time that is, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Okay, so sensuality and passions. This word passions here, this is a big, broad bucket term to really capture anything that refers to indulging in self-gratification. So you feel a feeling, you feel an impulse, and rather than questioning that impulse or curbing it, you just go along with whatever feeling that is. And so this can be a number of things. This can be gossip. This can be envy. This can be quarreling. This can be idleness. This can be, you know... um, Spending an inordinate, an inordinate amount of time on media because you can't do stillness. You're just always on your media feeds, looking, looking, looking. Just anything that gratifies you in the moment. Instant gratification is what passions refers to. So sensuality, this this can refer to uh, acts of violence. Uh, it, can also, it, it also is specific more to uh, sex acts outside of marriage. And then he says uh, drunkenness and drinking parties. So pretty self-explanatory there. To be clear, what he's Highlighting with drunkenness and drinking parties, it's not drinking alcohol per se. It's using alcohol as a means of escapism or drinking so much that, you know, your, your state of being begins to be altered. Your inhibitions are lowered and you begin to act like you normally wouldn't and so forth. And so just something to highlight here, because I think we can miss this because we have some assumptions, is to think about the people that originally read this letter. Because I've t- I talk with a lot of people, I was just speaking with one person last week, and he was telling me something to the effect of, he said, you know, I'm interested in following Jesus, but I've never, I didn't grow up going to church, I'm not the church-going type, and you know, when I see how a lot of Christians live, especially like, you know, the, the devoted, like the really devout, devoted Christians, I just don't see myself living like that, and like, I, I totally get that. And, and sympathize with that, but what's neat about who Peter's writing to is, so these are Gentiles he's writing to. That's why he says the time that is pacifies is for doing what the Gentiles do. He's referring to the group that they grew up in, so these primarily aren't Jewish readers that grew up knowing the scriptures, that grew up going to church, and these were, they grew up largely in Greco-Roman culture and just doing what the Greco-Romans did, and so when they read something like uh, Okay, yeah, the time has passed for living in sensuality, passions, orgies, and drinking parties. They don't have the, um, maybe this is scornful to say, but it, they don't have, you know, your, your stereotypical, like, Bible belt, like, oh, yeah, orgies and drinking parties, like, the things those people do, you know, the things those people do who aren't Christians. No, when they were reading this and they, they see, you know, orgies, drinking parties, sensuality, what they're thinking is, that's, that's me, I do that. Like, this has been part of my, my normal life. I'm not shocked by this. I'm not a prude and so forth. And so what Peter's saying is, now that you belong to Jesus, he didn't save you, you know, regardless of what you did or didn't do. But now that you belong to him, now he brings you out of one kingdom into a new kingdom with a far more glorious ethic that goes along with that kingdom because he's, he's a glorious king. And this is the new life you're called to live as someone who belongs to Jesus now. So that's the point there. That, that's what he's saying. Okay, so if you belong to Jesus now, this is the kind of life that you live away from. And so let's mainly think in terms of self-gratification because that's largely how you can sum up all of the all of the things in this list. So that's what we're called away from: self-gratification, just thoughtless doing it. So number two, what are some? I mean, already, 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 you guys are thinking, okay, you don't need to tell me what the obstacles are. I already know this is difficult. But I love that the God of the Scriptures knows that this is hard. You know, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, he knows this is hard, so he doesn't say, okay, just do it and good luck. But he says, no, here's, here's why it's difficult, and here's the good life I call you into. So what are some obstacles that we need to be aware of? Because often we just, we're not thinking about this consciously. And so Peter gives two things we, we need to concern ourselves with. So let's, let's go back to verse 1. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So what does that phrase, arm yourself, make you think of? war, right? Like if you're arming yourself for something, you're about to enter into something difficult. So Peter's saying this is going to be challenging. And there's two forces you need to worry about. One, the forces within. And number two, forces without. So first, forces within you that you need. to. So he says, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. The same way of thinking is who? Jesus. And so implicit here is you need to adapt a new way of thinking when you follow Jesus. And this is This confronts us because particularly in our culture, what we're told is essentially like feelings are sovereign. So if you have a feeling, you should follow your feelings. In fact, it can be seen as oppressive to to tell somebody, to actually question their feelings. What Peter's saying, and Jesus says the same thing, is it's not that feelings are intrinsically bad, but living in a fallen world, sometimes our feelings will lead us astray, and we're more than animals, so we need to think. And keep in mind, this is Peter who's saying you need to think. Like, say one, say one thing for Peter. Say Peter has a powerful lizard brain. When Jesus met Peter, Peter did very little thinking. He was all feeling, all emotions. But Peter's saying, you need to think. And the reason why you need to think is because now that you're in a new kingdom, you need to recalibrate your intuitions. Your intuitions about what makes sense, about what's right, about what's wrong, about what, what's natural and unnatural. And one example of this is, so in my prior job, uh, one of my roles was overseeing the intern program. And so we had this intern come through. let's call him Lucas. and so Lucas was an English major, and he had long hair, nothing against long hair. I'm just painting a picture for you in okay, case so you get an idea of this guy. So he comes in, uh, in into our program, and uh, P- Lucas had what you could call like Peter Pan syndrome where he he didn't want to grow up. Like, he just wanted to live still as a kid, you know, very kind of like wanderlust, not take on very much responsibility kind of personality. And so there's one—this is maybe two weeks into his internship, and it's—he's already had his break, and it's in the middle of the day. He's supposed to be, like, in his station where he's supposed to be, and he's not there. And so I look to the other staff, and I go, you know, where'd Lucas go? And I go, I don't know. I haven't seen him in, you know, 30 minutes or so. I was like, is he in the bathroom? No. Is he over here? No. He's, He's in the cafeteria? No. So finally, I go outside, and because we're on the the ground level, so I walk outside, and I kid you not, <laughs> it's giving me like nightmares to think back on this. So I I look into the parking lot, and he's twelve feet up in a tree, just like leaning against a branch, reading a book. It was it was it was probably Catcher in the Rye or something, you know, like you guys know what I'm talking about. And I go, Lucas, what are you doing? And he goes, with a straight face, I'm reading a book. <laughs> and I go, I know you're reading a book, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you can tell where the conversation went. You're supposed to be working, so on and so forth. And so he got a few more strikes. At the end of the day, we ended up having to, to fire him and let him go. But what was, what was at the heart of the issue? So he was still living in the old kingdom, right, the old Peter Pan kingdom, with those intuitions of I should be able to escape when I want. I should be able to read when I want. If I don't feel like adapting responsibility for eight hours, I shouldn't need to do it. He hadn't entered into the kingdom of the adult world yet. And in the same way, what Peter is saying is when you follow Jesus, it, it often takes a while because against you're going against like residual intuitions from being in the old kingdom, but this takes a lot of intentionality to actually like when you have an impulse. Okay, maybe I should actually go against what my initial desires are. And the more I follow Jesus, the more my impulses and desires begin to line up with Jesus. So that's the first obstacle we just need to be aware of, that our intuitions are often going to go against the kingdom of Jesus. But number two, what's the other obstacle, is social exclusion. And you see this here in verse 4. Yes, verse 4. So with respect to this, talking about following Jesus in all these areas— they, the Gentiles, so your friends, your co-workers, and so forth, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So notice he doesn't say they might be surprised. They might malign you. No, he says they, they are surprised, and they do malign you. And so what he's saying is, when just like Jesus, right, he was very attractive to a lot of people, but also he, a lot of people ran away from him or were offended by him. And Peter's saying, if you are following your king in the same way, there are going to be some people who are drawn to you, but also some people who either just laugh at the, at the life you're living and your behavior, or they, they malign you and, and scorn you for it. And so, can I just lovingly challenge you guys? Because I, I, I think some of you go so, far, and I get this, some of you guys go so far with the I don't want to be that judgy Christian you know, that that lives so differently from my peers that I just kind of want to go with the flow so they don't think I'm that, you know, like holier-than-thou type person. But what Peter is saying is, you no, know, actually, like one of the signs that you know that you belong to Christ is the fact that you do stand out. Like at times there will be people who who listen to your speech or... See the, see the kinds of things that you do and the ethics that you hold to. And, of course, you're not supposed to do it in a self-righteous way, but if you're just following Christ without looking down on others, there will be people, no matter how winsome you are, that are going to be shocked and are going to be surprised. And that's, and that's hard. So just to, to challenge you, to just ask yourself, in some of my circles, am I trying too hard to be liked, or am I really missing an opportunity to display the gospel through my actions? And so that's why Jesus says, in, or uh, that's why Peter says in verse one, "Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." So when he says "ceased from sin," he doesn't mean you've stopped sinning. That's impossible until the world is renewed. When when he says "ceased from sin," he means you have a new attitude that says "enough is enough," and you know you've adopted that attitude when you're suffering in the flesh. Suffering in the sense of when you're at like war with yourself, constantly having to like go against some of those natural desires. That is a form of suffering. But also there's a form of suffering where well, some people may exclude you or may malign you. Okay, so th- those are the obstacles, internal, um, external. So now number three, what is the good life that Jesus calls you to? And here's the great news, because what I love about Jesus is he never calls you away from something without inviting you into something far better. And far more beautiful. We can be really good at talking about all the no's in the Bible when actually the yeses are a lot more common. So, what does Jesus invite us into? The first thing he invites us into is to enjoy what's already been given to us. He's, he invites us to enjoy what's already been given to us. So, you see this in verse 1 Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, that often means something glorious is happening, something beautiful that you're being invited into. Even our our words of assurance tonight where, you know, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he says, Peter's saying you don't do these things so that God doesn't frown at you. He's saying, therefore, in light of what has been done, now you live this way. So what's been done, Peter? Well, he's referring to verse 18, last week. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In other words, did Jesus wait until you were like living in the straight and narrow with regards to drinking and sexuality and self-indulgence and he waited until you were you know, living upright enough and then he decided to pursue you? No! He says he, he came and suffered for you, the righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, long ere the sun flung its first ray across the darkness, that's when the glorious triune God set his heart on you. And it was while you were actually still living in opposition to Jesus that Jesus bid the heavenly host farewell, said goodbye to his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, and came to earth to suffer on a cross for you, to take the judgment you deserve for your sin, and then rise from the dead so that he might bring you to God. And does this make all the difference? Yes, it makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between... Telling a, a young child who they've come from a broken and abusive and violent family, and now they're homeless, and telling the kid, "Okay, if you can walk on the straight and narrow for a year or two and live honorably enough, then we might adopt you." Is the difference between that versus what Peter is saying here and what Jesus invites us into, which is getting on your knee and looking at that looking at that child in the eye and saying, "I am adopting you today." And you are coming into a home where you are going to be secure. You're going to have warmth, security. You will never be mistreated. You will never be forsaken. And now that you're in the home, now that you're in this warm family, we, we have rules, but they're only for your flourishing and for your wholeness. You're never going to be rejected. You're never going to be cast out. But now that you're loved and secure, now here, just, here's how this family operates. Do, do you see the difference? And that's what Jesus invites us into every single time. You never, ever in the Bible hear God say, do this without him first saying, here is everything I have done and here is the intimacy. You are guaranteed with me from now into eternity. So that's the first thing. By living in this way, we're getting to enjoy the relationship and intimacy that we've we've already been given. First and foremost, that's most important. Number two, what does Jesus invite us into? He invites us into full humanity. Because when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just show us what God is like. He showed us what it means to be fully human. And the reason why Jesus was happy, whole, and free, the reason why he was beautiful on the inside and on the outside is because he, this, is, this is how he lived, among other things. He cared deeply about justice. He cared deeply about the marginalized. But he also lived in this way. And you notice what all of these things have in common. We've already mentioned it, but essentially, the common denominator with all of these items is a living for self rather than living for others. So you think about you know just general passions, idleness, envy, gossip, and so forth. When you're engaging in that kind of self gratification, you you can't be serving others. Okay, why does he talk about uh, sensuality? Why does he talk about sex outside of marriage? Sex is good. Let's be clear on that. The church doesn't talk about that often enough. I mean, in the book of Genesis, it, it opens with a man singing and reciting poetry over his naked bride. And that's just the, the first couple chapters. And then it moves on. But so what's the big deal with sex outside of marriage? It, it comes down to love is what it comes down to. And because the, the way that God designed sex was for intimacy and commitment to not be severed. Because when you have sex with somebody who's not your spouse, what you're doing is saying, you're saying, I want to be intimate with you without committing my entire life to you. Whereas God, how does he act? He always draws us into into intimacy with him while also giving all of himself to us completely. And so when when he invites us into this kind of ethic in this realm, what he's inviting us into is to use sex as a means, not for like, how can I... You wouldn't say this, but essentially what you can be doing is treating that person as a commodity because because you haven't promised your whole life to them. But what he's inviting you into is a life where your entire life is giving to the other person, not just your body. And number three, drunkenness, drinking parties. He highlights this again. Drinking is a, you know, wine, beer, that can be a great thing, a tasty thing. You can probably see where I stand on this. Uh, To be enjoyed in moderation, but what's the deal with being drunk or getting close to being drunk? It's, Im- it's impossible to live for other people when, when you're drunk. You just, you can't, you know, especially if that's a life. So everything from in the moment, it's just, it's self-indulgence that you're going to be slower the next morning. It's hard to live for and think of other people when this is what you're doing. And so he's inviting you to be fully human by living for others rather than just thinking about yourself just as Jesus did during his time on earth. So that's number two. So first, in- enjoy what you've been given. Number two, full humanity. And then number three, what he invites you into is a powerful way to display the gospel. A powerful way to display the gospel. So see verse five. Uh, They will give account to him, talking about the Gentiles, they will give account to Jesus, who's ready to judge the living and the dead, because God is a just God. He will judge at the end of all things. And then he says, but for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, better translation would be who are now dead, so people who were once alive who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. In other words, there is coming a day because God's just where he does judge. And then at that point, you're either headed for an eternity without God or you're headed for an eternity with God. And this is why it's so important Verse 6, why the gospel is preached. Because these are real lives, real souls who are made for God, and they need somebody to tell them who they're made for. And one of the most powerful ways to do that, as you use your words, because you do need words because the gospel's news, is to live in a way that actually stands out and actually makes people tilt their head because you are also marching to the beat of a different drum, just as Jesus Christ did. And that's why he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. He doesn't mean the end of the world is happening like tomorrow. A lot of people, you know, lots of movies are made about the end of the world tomorrow. Just the end of all things. Another way to phrase that, how Jesus talked about it, is the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he means is, we, talk, we saw this last week, when Jesus went to the cross, he did more than just provide his personal forgiveness for your sins. What he did was he also conquered everything that the fallen world entails. So darkness, demonic powers, loneliness, abuse, all those horrible things about our world. He conquered them, and he's already begin, begun ushering in a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, where when it's consummated, every single thread that is frayed in your heart and in all social relationships are going to be made whole. And so humanity with Christ will become a beautiful tapestry And it's by living in this way now that we get to serve as signposts for that future kingdom. So in other words, what Christ and Peter summon us to is, if this is our future and the kingdom of God is already being ushered into, then there is so much more than the remaining 20, 40, 60 years that that you have on this earth. There's more to life than what you do now. There's more to life than self-gratification now. There's a new world coming. It's called the kingdom of God. And when you live in this way, as you tell other people about Jesus, yes, some will malign you, but others will ask you for a reason for the hope within you. And, you know, going back to what I shared about my friends in the fraternity, yeah, there were guys who, you know, from that point on wrote me off, but there were a few who came a couple years later and they said, you know, Steve, I remember when we made fun of you for, you know, that incident, among others, freshman year, but there's something going on in my life and you're the only guy I know who follows Jesus and I just, can we talk about him? And more than one, you know, a few of those guys became Christians. And they're still Christians today. And it's not because I'm such a wonderful evangelist. It's not because, I mean, a lot of these things on this list I have dealt with all the time and continue to do battle with. But it's not because of me. It's just simply because it's how the kingdom of God works. So let's be a signpost to our great and matchless king. All right, let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I... Um, Thank you so much that you, first and foremost, draw us to yourself before you tell us things to do. And so help us to, more than anything, enjoy the fact that uh, long before uh, the first star shone, you set your heart on us and pursued us, and you loved us first uh, to give us your best. And so I thank you so much for that, and help us, Lord, to be a community um, that imperfectly shines forward you and your superlative nature. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, Help us to be patient with ourselves and one another as we do so. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.